You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. I want to say a happy asexual week to our asexual listeners. And you know what? Our aromantic listeners as well. We'll throw them in there. The whole ace spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. Or aces. Um, enjoy your life and you matter. That's right. You do. And if you don't know much about asexuality or aromantics or ace people, um, do some research you know, get caught up. Google is easy. Um, you know how to use it. If you're listening to this podcast, you know how to Google right. things. So that's don't fucking right. bullshit. Don't lie. Don't say, oh, I don't know how to look. Oh, I never knew about that. Mm-hmm. You have fucking Google. Your phone's in your hand for fucking 50% of the day. Don't be a fucking bullshitter. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There's no excuse for not knowing something now. If you can sit, turn around, even my father-in-law, who's a who's the, an old Even white guy in his Evan. late 50s. Shut up. Turns around and can be like, hey, Alexa, play denim music. So he could turn around and be like, hey, Alexa, explain asexuality to me. Um, yeah, and by the way, if you're looking for a little, if you have like a Google Home or even an Alexa, you can just say, okay, Google, play the Your Queer Story podcast. And my phone's about to start doing it yep, now. Yep, there we go. Because Google's always listening. Okay. okay. But, and if you, and when you're asking Google to play our podcast... Um, just go right over to the Florence Nightingale episode and then we'll tell you about asexuality. If you don't want to read, you can listen to us tell you pretty much about anything in the world. Yeah. Honestly, at this point. Yeah. You want us to cover World War II? Let us know. You want us to cover World War One? Let us know. You want us to cover anything? Let us know. Because guess what? Whatever happened in the whole world, there was queer people there. Oh, so yeah. if there's a topic that you're interested in, email us, tweet us. Message us on YouTube, message us on Facebook, message us on Instagram, mm-hmm. um, call us. Okay, Paul's just giving out his phone number. Um, <laughs> yeah, just get in touch with us. Yeah, get in touch and we'll cover any subject. It's like Paul said, queer history is wherever any history is. And we'll dig it up and we'll talk about it. I mean, we've talked about all kinds feel of like, stuff. I feel like because we've been getting a little bit of listenership in Mongolia, we should do like a special special episode for there that. There you go. Yeah. That'd be fun. Pull some, pull some Mongolian queer history up. Yeah, we can, yeah, I'm all for that. So what did you do this week? What is, what is this week? Um, I just worked a lot. I'm already setting Christmas. So oh, that's, God. Yeah. But I will tell you, I went into um, Burlington. We were mm-hmm. looking for clothes, and they had like the Christmas stuff out, and I spent like a half an hour just walking through oh, yeah. looking all this because stuff. Because the whole time that I'm setting Christmas, people are coming in, they're grumbling like, oh, there's stupid Christmas on my family. But at the same time, out. they're And looking- as they're <laughs> rummaging through my Christmas stuff, as they're picking things up and putting ornaments in their basket, they're like, I can't believe that they have the audacity to set Christmas this early. And uh, are these lights on sale by the way <laughs> like okay so whatever uh every year it's the same i'm immune to it now but um i oops sorry i have been working a lot and of course working out yeah we've been you doing really good. oh i need so to use your little thing today well, check where i'm at the little fat thing oh yeah you do you need to yeah measure your fat measure my fat keeping it up fat. keeping we're, it on we're track. tracking we're tracking our fat percentage which by the way, I do want to say as a disclaimer, your BMI or your fat percentage, it can be helpful for tracking, but also it can be incredibly, um, like, it that doesn't have to do with whether or not you're healthy. And I was actually reading an article today shared by someone um, someone who was talking about how the, like, the BMI is really rooted in racism and just a lot of really? a whole, like fat phobia and such like that. So you can be a healthy person and not fit the BMI. The rock doesn't fit in, in a BMI scale, but it can also help with, with other goals. So you can use it, but don't set your whole life around right. it. I think it's good to just look at everything and monitor everything, but like 
So when I came, left high school, I weighed 235, and then I dropped down to 146. That was my mm-hmm. lowest. And I'm at about 160 now, you know, which is a pretty healthy weight. Technically, yeah. according to all the stats, I'm still overweight. Yeah. But uh, by like five pounds or something. But I'm like, I mean, overall, if you consider where I was to where I'm at now, I'm extremely healthy. So you have yeah. to remember, like, just because you're starting somewhere or just because you're not all the way to the perfect spot yet, like... Take everything into consideration when you're looking at the numbers. Yeah. Don't, don't beat com- yourself up. Exactly. And don't compare yourself to other people. And there's like, it's just what you, makes you feel good. Like, I don't feel good when I'm at a, what's considered the healthy weight. I don't feel good about myself. I don't like the Right. Because I, I, I was actually thinking that. I'm like, I want to be at the healthy weight. But then I'm like, well, I don't know. I've been building muscle. Like, I don't want to just yeah. get like, I don't want to get rid of the muscle and get scrawny just to. Exactly. I love, I, I, I like to be a little heavier. I just feel like it put makes me look more masculine. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I'm happy with that. So, but you do have to take care of yourself. And now we're turning into like a fitness. I know. <laughs> and so this week on your fitness story, <laughs> which will be our next podcast. But whatever, that was all. Where was where did that come from? Because uh, I said the BMI. You said, when you we, said um, I asked you what you were doing this week. Oh yeah, because it just good. Yeah, because we're tracking our. We are diet. really good at talking about any subject. We can talk about anything. <laughs> that's why we're best friends. I think that's why. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, but that's all I did. I did my diet and my exercise, and I worked. This was uh, actually for me the first week that I didn't do my diet very good. Um, because I mean, I'm not specifically doing a diet. I'm just kind of eating healthy. I've learned over the years how to eat healthy from, um, when I lost all that weight. But this week, I don't know if it was, I mean, we did fall fest stuff yesterday. Yeah. What's today? Yeah. Yesterday we went into like, um, Massachusetts to do some fall stuff and I had like, uh, a beer and a drink and I haven't been drinking yeah. and I had a burger and then I had some brownies and then I had pizza today. Yeah. So it's not like it was a fall and then I did have... I kind of ate bad this week. I wouldn't say it was excessively bad, but it was definitely like a cheat well, week. Well, you had you had things, and that's another point of like if your diet controls your whole life and you can't enjoy yourself, yeah, I, I then said, what you know, is the point of that? Because I told myself, I'm like, you know what? I'm doing – this is a long-term thing. This isn't like yeah. – I'm not trying to just do a quick fix or you know drop 30 pounds in 30 days or any of that crazy stuff. So I was like, I can enjoy myself this week. Yeah. And you know what? If I put on a pound or something – I'll get rid of it next week. Like, yeah, fitness is a journey, mm-hmm. and it looks different for everybody. Just like queerness, queerness is a journey, and it looks be- look different for everybody. But yeah. So, um, also for me this week, besides you know all of that stuff, when after the fall stuff was over, we went to uh, David's hometown to drop his brothers off, and he wanted to show mm-hmm. his brothers like I, there was like a, a small waterfall. <laughs> there was uh-huh. a small waterfall um, in town you know, in the woods. So we went back there Mm -hmm. and then, uh, for some reason, David decided we were all going to jump across the fucking river. And of course, guess who fucking falls in? Wow. And then, uh, my feet are completely (laughs) soaked. I just land feet first into this fucking river. And David's like, Oh my God, are your feet wet? And of course, like it's fucking fall. I'm cold. And I'm like, no, my fucking feet are dry right now, David. What the fuck do you think? <laughs> so then we walked back and it was like a good 15 minute walk. My feet just soaking wet. squishy, squish, yeah. squish, squish all the way and back. The, and it was like <laughs> the side of a river for part of it. So it was like slanted and I'm like struggling to maintain my balance. It sounds like a great time. Right? That's exactly how I want to spend my fucking afternoon. After I'm, and I was also drunk walking through there because I, so it was like made it even worse. Like, this was such a great idea, hon. I'm so glad we did this. It sounds like your relationship resentment is bubbling up, Paul. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> He's not no. going to listen to this anyways. No, he won't. He got, no, right? I wasn't mad. I wasn't mad at him. I was like, fr- I was frustrated that I fell. I wasn't yeah. even frustrated that we were in the woods, but it came out that I was because I was mad at myself for, for falling. falling. Yeah. Well, you. I mean, it's not like... Uh... But You're also, the most coordinated person. it was the yeah exactly, <laughs> and it was the day after leg day, so my legs oh, walking through the fucking awful. woods were like shaking just from horrible pain. <laughs> oh god, no. like that. This is exactly what I want to be doing right now. I'm so glad we're doing this. Yeah, that's <laughs> stuff. That's stuff. Mm. And today, when I was walking, someone said he was going to murder me. Yeah, um, you told me that. Yeah, so. I think, I mean, I know this man has some sort of mental illness, so I kind of ignored it. But at the same time, I was like, well, Does he I'm... know where you live? Yeah, he lives on my street. Well, then you're dead. Well, we have cameras in our at our house, and I'm the most paranoid person and in the world. And David has so. a pink baseball bat, so I'm yes. sure you'll say I actually learned that it was red. Oh, it was <laughs> that's my... right. I always forget that you're colorblind. It was my colorblindness. And he was like, it's 
red. <laughs> I was like, well, damn, now I, have, I feel like I have to buy a pink one because I've been lying to people for like a whole <laughs> Everybody's year. Everybody's going to come over and look for the big baseball bag. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I, I will see, I'll have an update on this next week, but we're, Samantha and I are going to a specialist the day that this episode drops to um, talk about getting impregnated. Yeah. So a little baby. Setting up our, our sperm inoculation or whatever it is. You a little know. baby for me to spoil and teach all the horrible things and then be like, all right, bye, I'm leaving. Yeah. Have fun with the little heathen. Exactly. Exactly. So that'll be fun. Anyways, we should get into our episode. <laughs> Today we're covering the Deadly Lovers, Otis Toole and Henry Lee Lucas. Why don't yeah. you start this week? Huh? Why don't you start this okay, week? Okay, all right. So we're continuing our month of gore, bloodshed and terror with a love story. That is if, what's more beautiful than two gays loving and killing. That's right. This that's the dream, right? That's the dream. That that this would actually make a great horror film. I, I'm sure it well, it's half of it's been made. We'll talk about it. I'm a talking bit about later. the full thing. Like you want a really good movie that's gonna sell, especially with I, I don't know. Today, so the movie that was made was made, I think, in 2003. So yeah. this was right before the curve of really accepting Today, queer. this would well, sell like fucking hotcakes. I'm sure Especially if you be. put Taylor Swift in it. <laughs> what the fucking... No. Let's see. Who plays this good? Um, oh, God. I don't even know. Pete Buttigieg. Pete, shut up. You know, no. this is this cast. Pete I Buttigieg, Taylor Swift, Ellen, you know Todrick who, Hall. Um, who I think I, I, nobody's going to see this, but I see this. I feel like Neil Patrick Harris could pull off Henry Lee Lucas, which you if both of these men are incredibly ugly, but like I feel like he could do. I don't cast know who me. Play. I play that role there perfectly. You go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. I can play both roles. And just you're going back and forth and in love with yourself. Yep. Makes sense. It's just me. And then like it cuts to me on the other side of the screen. <laughs> with just a wig on. <laughs> Our low budget film. Support us on Patreon to get this movie going. <laughs> All right. So it's a love story. That is, if your definition of a love story is roaming the country while randomly, brutally and mercilessly murdering people. For at least two men, this was the case. And those men were the infamous serial killing duo Otis or Otis Tool. I heard it both ways. Who Definitely really gives Otis. a fuck? Otis Tool and Henry Lee Lucas. And we want to put in our standing October trigger warning here. This story will contain rape, incest, torture, and murder, including the harming of children and animals. So you, if you have no interest in this brutality, please check out our other episodes, such as Lucy Hicks Anderson, the black transgender businesswoman in the early 20th century. Or how about bisexual spy and worldwide entertainer Josephine Baker? The only woman I have ever been attracted to. Mm-hmm, yeah. And in May, we covered Mr. Spock himself, George Takei. So catch up on our past episodes or check out the blog on our website at yourqueerstory.com slash blog. And for those of you who are still listening, it's about to get bloody in here. I feel like we need like a little... I think you should enter. Now it's too late. That Last week's episode would have been perfect for you to put in a little scary That's like organ music. Yeah, exactly. He barely even edited the last episode, Listen, let alone... I was busy. <laughs> but I'm still here for you all. Yeah. On a warm... <clears throat> I had something in my throat. Oh, Jesus. On a warm day in Jacksonville, Florida, while waiting outside of a soup kitchen, two soulmates met for the first time. 29-year-old Otis Toole towered above the old, older Henry Lee Lucas, who is 11 years Toole senior. So see, you can still find love, everybody. <laughs> Both men were gruff and dirty with crooked teeth and darkness that seemed to radiate from their presence. Henry squinted slightly from his left eye, which was fake, and occasionally oozed with uncontrollable drainage. <laughs> Mm, that's sexy. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if he ever took it out and like... Oh. Otis had thinning hair and a large gap in his front teeth, due in part to his horrible hygiene. But the two men must have sent something in each other because they were immediately drawn together as partners, both in love and in cruelty. Within weeks of meeting each other, Otis was sharing a bed with Henry. What would follow would be a crime spree that, if true, is one of the deadliest in history... But where did these men come from and what truly drew them together? And I don't, I couldn't find verification, so I only heard this fact once. But one one thing that I heard was that, um, was that Otis was with, uh, he was dating a woman 
And as soon as he met Henry, he like pushed her out of the house. He was like, okay, time for you to leave, honey. <laughs> and Henry just like, like the day they met, wow. that first day by that, that evening they were sleeping Well, you together. know what? That's kind of what happens when you find out that you're like, you know, you're gay or something. I mean, if you're older and you haven't experienced oh, oh, Otis it Otis knew, knew that he was gay oh, for okay. a long time. But he had a he had a lot of beards in his life. Gotcha. I mean, this was this was the um, uh, this was the one. the 70s and 80s. So yeah, he yeah, had yeah. beards in that. But then when he met Henry, he was like, "Fuck the beards. Yeah, this is my man." And that's Smells exactly like how cigarettes and, and <laughs> sewage. Mmm, mm. can't get much better. Also, what I love about this, you know, that voice we always do, we're like, and anyways, where it's like slightly southern with yeah. a list. That's exactly how Otis Tool sounds. Like if you listen to his <laughs> interviews, that's exactly how he sounds. So we're not being homophobic. That's how he sounds. Okay. <laughs> Henry Lee Lucas was born on August twenty third, nineteen thirty six, in Blacksburg, Virginia. His ch- his childhood was filled with abuse and neglect. Henry's father both lost both his legs in a railroad accident, and as a means to support the family, Henry's mother, Viola, became a sex worker, which in itself would not have been a shame, but Viola's physical and sexual abuse of her son was tragic. She beat him regularly, once putting him in a three-day coma, as well as forcing Henry to watch her have sex with her clients. She also forced him to wear girls' clothes, according to Henry, and shot his favorite pet, the family mule. One day she was mad and she just shot the mule. According to Henry, she also sexually abused him, forcing him to have sex with her and pinching and torturing his genitals when he misbehaved. It is most probable that Henry did suffer sexual abuse. However, we do need to state early on that both Henry and Otis are liars who have made their names known through exaggerations and made-up stories. So any information they give us all is always to be taken with a grain of salt. And I can't stress that enough. As the story goes on, you'll see, yes, these were dangerous men and they were brutal men and they certainly must have had horrible childhoods. Mm-hmm. But they lie so much and so compulsively that it's really hard to distinguish what's true and what's not. Are you okay? I'm good. I don't know what's wrong with me today. (laughs) Sometime in his early teens, Henry's left eye was sliced with a knife by his brother. God damn. Imagine that. (laughs) All right. Ah. Oh, and this was really bad. So he sliced open and Viola doesn't do shit about it. She just lets him sit with it for three days. She doesn't do shit about it. (sighs) Ugh. An infection set in, and the eye had to be removed and replaced with a glass one. But as it was the 1940s and the family was very poor, the eye was not set well. And as a result, Henry's tear duct would often leak involuntarily. Naturally, this deformity set Henry up for more ridicule around the neighborhood and amongst his family members. Shortly after the eye accident, around age 12 or 13, Henry ran away from home and began his life as a drifter. He claims to have committed his first murder at age 14 when he met 17-year-old Laura Burnsley at a bus stop and propositioned her. Laura turned him down, so Henry beat her, raped her, and then strangled her to death. He continued to drift around Virginia, claiming that during this time he took up a relationship with his half-brother. But in 1954, Henry was arrested for more than 12 counts of burglary and sentenced to four years in prison. He probably would have been released uh, early had he not terminally, temporarily escaped in 1957. Instead, Henry remained locked up until 1959. It's a weird thing because he actually escaped twice, but like one time he barely got off the premises. But the, another time he was gone for several days before they caught him. And so he's like, in, he's he's a very he's very much like a person who's street smart. Like he's very smart mm-hmm. and calculating in that way. Could hardly read or write, but like very like. Yeah, probably you know. intuitive. You know? Yeah, exactly. Here's the thing about what that I never understood about prison escape. If you got like two years left and you're like, man, I should just escape. If you get caught, you're going for like, what, another like five to 10 years? Yeah. Like just finish out your fucking, you're going to get caught. There's no way you're going to escape from prison and just remain on the run. Like one or two people have ever done it in the United States. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Even Ted Bundy escaped prison and was sent back. Right. Like you're going to get caught. Even if you don't, you spend the entire rest of your life constantly looking over your shoulder, wondering when you're going to get caught. You can never settle down or put roots down. And like, if it's a life sentence, I get it. What do you have oh, to lose? I, hell yeah! Right? If it was a life sentence, get the fuck out. Yeah, but if I mean, it's a don't short get out, sentence, but, like that's what yeah, I would do. But yeah, no, yeah, like life sentence. But like, oh, fuck it, I'll, I'll try. You're but like, in if there it, for life anyways. <laughs> four years, just like fucking finish your sentence. What, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
During this time in jail, Henry fell in love with one of his pen pals, and upon his release, Henry set about to marry the woman. But his mother, Viola, would have none of such nonsense. She insisted Henry come back home and take care of her. As the argument became heated, Henry claims Viola whacked him upside the head with a broom, to which he responded by stabbing her in the neck. I mean, if his child is as bad as he said, then I don't It's true. It's true. Like, you, you don't really feel bad for him. But I just love that he's trying to get away with, he's like, so she, so she like, hit me upside the head, and then I just stabbed her. Naturally, like, that's what you do. That's what you do. Or as Henry stated, all I remember was slapping her alongside the neck. But after I did that, I saw her fall and gra- decided to grab her. But she fell to the floor, and when I went to pick her up, I realized she was dead. Then I noticed that I had my knife in my hand, and she had been cut. Luke, all I was trying to do, I was just trying to give her a little slap. I don't know how the knife got in my hand. I just hand. slapped her upside the, the neck with the knife like you do. Like you do when you want to get someone's attention. You slap them upside the just with the, just with the knife. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how it cut her. I don't recall having the knife. I don't know how it got in my hand. <laughs> I think Jesus must have put that there. That's what I'd think. <laughs> so Henry fled the scene, leaving his supposedly dead mother on the ground. However, Viola had was not quite dead. Henry's what? Here's the thing I have to say about killing someone. <laughs> Good. Paul's life tips on how to be a criminal. Go ahead. People, the amount of time somebody's thought someone's dead and they walk away. If you're not sure the job's done, you didn't do it. That's true. Although I will say in this one, I think I really don't think he meant to kill her. I think he was angry and he did lash out in anger and he meant to stab her. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he meant to kill her. Mm -hmm. Don't kill me, though. But just some (laughs) advice. Um, So Henry's half sister, Opal, found Viola struggling to survive and Opal called an ambulance. But on the way to the hospital, Viola died of a heart attack precipitated by the stabbing. That fucking sucks. Yeah. Imagine you survive the stabbing and you have a fucking heart attack on the way. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. Well, also fuck Viola. Yeah. She seemed like a horrible person. God. But yeah. Henry was found guilty of second degree murder and in 1960, he was sentenced to over 20 years in prison. I mean, technically, he didn't kill her. The heart attack killed her, so that's why it was second degree. Damn. As Lucas sat in prison, his lover was only 13 years old at the time. Young Otis Toole was born on March 5th, 1947 in Jacksonville, Florida. Like Henry, Otis Otis also suffered horrific and abusive childhood. His father was a raging alcoholic and often absent, eventually abandoning the family altogether. His mother, on the other hand, turned to religion to soothe her pain and became a fanatic using religion to justify her cruel beatings and neglect of the of her child. She's got to use the rod. That's right. Because of the abandonment of both parents, Otis was prey to incest and abuse by other family members and friends. He recalls that as early as five years old, he was raped by one of his father's friends. He says, though, that the real abuse in his family started to co- started when he came out as gay around 10 years old. I, that's yeah, hard. That is hard, and it's but and again, it's also hard to know. I again, I can't believe that these men weren't horribly sexually abused. But like Otis would, his story would change, and like by the end, his story was that his father and mother like pimped him out to their friends, and they were just passing him around, and and everything. so it just became more and more grand over time. Yeah, so Which, it could knows, have been true. Who knows what level, you know. Yeah. Was it really this, or was it the passing around, like, or was it in between? Like, yeah, you don't know. I mean, like, as you go through therapy, which in prison he did have to go to like therapy, so like, it could have more, could have like, he could have had more understanding. Organ, he also sold like a lot of interviews and stuff. So yeah, who knows? I mean, if you want to make money, yeah, sell your fucking story and make the story better, so more people want to buy it. Exactly. So again, this could be true given the time period, the conservative area, and his mother's extreme religious fanaticism as far as them being more cruel to him after he came out as gay. Yeah, that would make sense. Tool says his mother forced him to wear dresses to church and called him Susan as a way to bully him for his orientation. But we do not know how much of this is true as he continued to seek attention through lies until the day of his death. What we do know is that Otis enjoyed cross-dressing throughout his life, and perhaps he felt guilty and needed a reason for what he perceived as deviancy. It is also interesting to note that Henry Lee Lucas also claimed to be dressed like a girl as a child, and the media's incredible attention to this detail. You cannot read or listen to anything about the two without this fact being mentioned. We certainly do not condone parents forcing a gender expression on a child and absolutely call out the abuse of using it as a bullying tactic. But as a queer podcast, we also call out the homophobia and transphobia surrounding the marks and fixation on this fact. Yeah, it's such a... um... 
it's so scandalous, right? It's like, yeah. oh my God, a boy in a, a dress. Well, yeah, and the media like really put it like, well, no wonder they murdered all those people. Right. I mean, look at how his mother dressed him up. And right. it's like, Ugh. Also, I don't think that if the mother was in a, like a religious cult and so so heavily in the religion, she would dress him up as a in girls' clothing. I feel like right. she'd try to hide it. Exactly. It's a, it's so, a kind of a weird thing. And and Otis did cross-dress. So it's more seems more likely that he was cross-dressing right. and maybe he got caught but then he turns flips it around as his mother dressed him up that way she made him that right. way she made him him want right. to look like that you know whatever the reason things became unbearable at home and Otis ran away around the age of 12 or 13 it was at this time that he had his first relationship with a young neighborhood boy and began to visit the local gay bars oh my god <laughs> what he was going to gay bars at I know 30, right over 13 I'm at, if I saw a 12 or 13 year old in the Jesus bar, I'd be like, Christ. you need, like, I'd be like, come sit over here with me. We're calling the police. You well, need we're, to, like, we're like, talking about, somewhere we're talking about today. Right we're not talking about the eighties where bars are underground. The drinking age is 18. You're right. You're and right. if he, he's a six foot four kid, so he could have passed as 18. And also a lot of gay bars, I don't know, like, we don't know if they were serving him or not, but they also knew this was the only safe space yeah, for queer yeah, people. Yeah, you're right. We should look into it and see, like, what like what went on in gay bars at mm -hmm. the time. So, yeah, but go ahead. By 14, Otis had become a sex worker as a means to provide a living for himself. And it was through this work that Tool claims to have taken his first victim, a traveling salesman who Otis murdered after the man propositioned him for sex. According to Tool, the man took him to the woods, and when he got out of the car... Otis ran over him and left the man for dead. Over the next 12 years, the young man drifted all all over the country from the southeast up to Nebraska and even to Colorado, crashing in abandoned houses and picking up work where he could. He had a love and sexual inclination for fire and developed skills as an arsonist. Throughout this time, he was arrested a few times on small charges, such as loitering, and was the prime suspect in two murders. But authorities didn't have enough evidence to arrest, and in the late 1970s, Otis headed back to Jacksonville. During Otis's travels, Henry had been released early from prison due to overcrowding. This is after murdering his mother. After mm -hmm. serving just 10 years now, for he his... he didn't murder his mother. <laughs> she had a heart attack. He slapped her with a knife. And then, yep, and she lived. <laughs> it was the heart attack that killed this her. This is true. After serving just 10 years for his mother's murder, Henry walked free in 1970. He lasted one year before being sentenced to another five for trying to kidnap three young girls, which is... It's funny in the case of Henry, but it's not funny in like how the criminal yeah. institute like cripples people and mm -hmm. makes them more prone to going back. But Henry Lee Lucas was also a creep and should have been locked up. Yeah. He's one of the few that should have like remained in prison forever. Mm -hmm. Once again, he fell in love with a pen pal. But this time he married her upon release in 1975. But the marriage fell apart when his wife found out that Henry had sexually abused her daughter. After splitting up, Henry took up with another woman, but just a few months later, the same incident played out. Only this time, the woman's entire family chased Henry out of West Virginia down to Florida. I've, I, I wouldn't, I mean, for all the jokes they make about West Virginia and like incest mm -hmm. and, and rape, like you fuck over a family in West Virginia, you better run. Yeah. <laughs> They're coming for you. And then he went down to Florida where Otis was himself just getting out of a three day marriage. <laughs> According to court documents and the killer, he married a woman 25 years older than him. But while on their honeymoon, Otis revealed he was gay and she left him. So it seems really weird, but it just seems that like maybe he married this woman for money or maybe he like was just seeking love and maybe like his own relationship with his mother. I don't know. But yeah. then on the honeymoon, he was like, by the way, honey, I'm gay. I know we already married and everything. But I just have something to tell you. I just got to drop this little bombshell. Tool would later say that he only went through with the marriage as a cover-up for his sexuality. But with no place to go, Otis headed to the local soup kitchen for some food, and there he met Henry. Butterfly effects, people. <laughs> That's right. These two people happen to meet by way different circumstances, and mm -hmm. some crazy shit happens. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Instantly, the two men seemed to hit it off. Though it definitely was not a domesticated lover's paradise. Over the next five years, the men claimed to have murdered 1,008 victims, which is definitely not true. <laughs> right. um, the vast majority of which hold no evidence. Um, and in fact, many claims have been proven to be outright lies. Still, there is definite certainty that they did rape, assault, and kill several people. Over the years, the men crossed 26 states and obtained count 
of countless victims. Two main reasons they didn't get caught was their constant movement and the ways in which they mixed up their killings. Henry, Henry would later confess, I killed them every way there is except poison. There's been strangulations, there's been snifings, there's been shootings, and there's been hit and runs. The killer continued explaining how he trained Tool. He was doing his crimes all one way. Such an amateur. <laughs> I started to correct him in his ways in doing the crime where he wouldn't leave any information. <laughs> yeah, so they, like, it definitely seems that Otis was very much in love with Henry. Mm-hmm. And I think Henry, like, if there was ever um, a, uh, a sexual, if there ever was, but, like, an example of an extreme sex addict would be Henry Lee Lucas. That's just my own diagnosis, but this man loves sex. I'm not saying that he wasn't bisexual. I'm just saying that, like, Otis was someone for him to fuck. Yeah. But Otis definitely loved Henry, like, Mm -hmm. was in love with him. He had found his soulmate. And, like, they're both very warped people with very uh, awful backgrounds. Yeah, they got each other. They clicked. So it worked. For years, the two men left a trail of unexplained deaths across the country. Most of the victims were sex workers and hitchhikers, many of whom were never identified. On the other hand, one victim was a prominent sheriff who was beaten with a tire iron and left in a convenience store. The victims ranged in ages, gender, and class, which meant authorities didn't tie the murders together. They didn't even they didn't seem to have a rhyme or reason and this was true because the only connection was the two lovers obsession with killing and that's like like even in the same town there would be three people dead and the police wouldn't tie it together because it didn't make like one was a hit and run and this one girl was strangled and raped in her house and then the sheriff is beaten together to death in a convenience store right. they couldn't all be connected from different walks of life different yeah. you know colors different sexualities like if there's literally no common denominator like who would think that that's a serial exactly. killer like, like that goes against all common serial killer logic right yeah So in addition to the rape, sexual assault, and murder, Otis began to add cannibalism to his list of crimes. Henry says he never got on board with eating victims. Otis disagrees. We do know from a secret recording of one of the men's conversations after their arrest that there was certainly cannibalism involved, a fact of which Otis has played up heavily, offering to send people his recipe for human barbecue sauce free of charge. Maybe a little nutmeg. (laughs) No, it includes like... It's just barbecue sauce. Did you look with it up? You no, he talks about it. Oh. He's like, it's barbecue sauce with a little bit of human fat in it, and you just mix it together, let it sit, and, mm, and you just God. pour that right on something. Ugh. What do you think human tastes like? Mm. Well, according to Otis, it tastes the same as like, um, oh God, it was some animal. Like it was, it wasn't. It was like chicken or pork or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's like once, oh, but he goes into real detail, and you can tell this is him playing it up. Right, he's yeah. like, it's like most people can't tell the difference, but I'll tell you what: you give me the meat of a fourteen-year-old boy and a fourteen-year-old girl, and I can tell the difference. Yeah, just being real. real yeah, extra. he goes into detail about how he gets his victims like. Um, primed up and ready and how he cooks them and just throw them on a spit roast that's all you gotta do yeah Mm -hmm. but true love doesn't last forever especially along among moralist crooks and soon otis lost his lover to his 13 year old niece (laughs) yeah damn reports vary as to how young becky frida powell was when she and lucas began their relationship but we know she wasn't older than 13 for a brief time both Becky and her younger brother traveled across. Travel. You're dying. I don't know that. what's wrong with me. I, you die. I'm pushing your body out of the room and I'm continuing the podcast on my own. Just don't let your dogs eat me. Well, I can't promise that. <laughs> For a brief time, both Becky and her younger brother traveled with Lucas and Tool around on their murder spree. Becky's mother had allowed the kids to go off with their uncle and his friend. Because <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. Oh, yeah. Your your uncle and his creepy friend? Absolutely. You, you both smell like rot. You have no teeth. Your <laughs> eyes oozing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's great. I think you both look respectable. <laughs> both children admit they were witnesses to a few murders. But when the mother died, Becky and her younger siblings were taken in as wards of the state. The young man, we could not find his name, remained in the state shelter. But Becky ran off with Henry. 
who reportedly simply walked into the shelter, grabbed Becky, and walked back out. So according to them, they like went to the shelter where the kids were, and they, they went in, and they asked both Becky and her brother if they wanted to go, and Becky was like, absolutely, I want to get out of here. And the brother was like, nah, I'm good. I right. think you're both fucking I, insane. I, I, I don't want to watch name. people get murdered. <laughs> I think I'm good here. Yeah, I, I, I want to say his name was Frank. I don't know, but like he was prominent when the men were arrested, and then he just like faded from history. He probably I, was like I don't want any. Oh yeah, he know. probably changed his name and like I'm done with that part of my life. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Like you know, and for good reason. Absolutely. The two fled to Texas, leaving Otis alone and betrayed. He later said he had to kill at least nine people to blow off steam. To blow off steam. It doesn't seem true that Otis was always a lot more taken. It does seem true that Otis was always a lot more taken with Henry than Henry was with Otis. Yeah. So down in Texas, things got went south quickly. <laughs> Surprising. Yeah, for the young girl. Okay, I should have read through. <laughs> Henry and Becky, who was by now 14 or 15, got a job as caretakers for an elderly woman. But they were released after a few months when the family claimed the two weren't doing their job properly and were in fact stealing from the old woman. The couple continued to drift until finding a, co- a commune where Henry found a job as a roofer. But Becky became homesick and began to argue with the much older Lucas, as teenagers tend to do. Surprise, surprise. That's why, I mean, there's so many reasons why you don't date a teenager, but what the fuck? Why would you even want to date a 14-year-old? Like, that's just so annoying. It's only for the pedophilia value. It it is only for that. I would never even date, like, an 18-year-old because, god damn, I wouldn't date someone under 25 at this point. I wouldn't either, but, like, I'm, like, (laughs) just thinking, like, an 18-year-old, fuck. I told, like, when I, Samantha and I always talk, like, when I was looking on my profile, like, I had made a rule. I'm not dating. I think at the time I was like, I'm not dating anyone under 24. Mm-hmm. And, but Samantha had lied on her profile because she was afraid people were going to steal her birthday. And so, so <laughs> yeah. I, like, I messaged her. And after we had our first couple dates, I found out she was actually younger than I thought, <gasps> which she was only a year younger. So, Scam you know. artist. I know. That's how she wrote me in. Because, but it's true. Because if I had seen that she was 23, I'd been like, nah, I'm good. No, thank you. <laughs> I do not do drama anymore. Oh, God. Okay. So, um, but <clears throat> where am I at? So uh, Becky began to complain, as teenagers do. And in a fit of rage, Henry murdered his rape victim and former lover's niece, dismembering Becky's body and scattering the parts around an empty field. Henry then returned to the house of the the elderly woman who had employed the two drifters, telling her Becky had run away and asking for her help. Now, this is months after they've been released. So this is just pure anger and brutality. Mm -hmm. He lured the 82-year-old Kate Rich to a nearby field and murdered her well, this time stuffing her body into a draining pipe. Because of suspicion already aroused through his theft from the woman, Lucas became the prime suspect. Henry eluded the police for a few years, but in 1983, he was caught and processed for illegal possession of a firearm. You'd be surprised how many criminals, like, they actually get him that way, and yeah. then they have him in jail, and they can get all the other evidence for everything else. Exactly, yeah. After Becky and Henry left, had left him, Otis became even more aggressive and deranged. In January of 82, Tool got in an argument with a 64-year-old gentleman, gentleman named George Sonnenberg. Otis managed to barricade the old man in his house and then left and then lit the structure on fire, burning him alive, which is one mm-hmm. next to torture, that's probably gotta be the worst way to go. Yeah, that's an awful way. He was arrested, tried, and sentenced to twenty years in prison. But just as that trial ended for Tool, another began, and in nineteen eighty four he was convicted of the murder of nineteen year old Ada Johnson. For this killing, Otis received a life sentence. With both men behind bars, they could they could have faded into obscurity. However, another terrible trait um, the murderer shared was a love of the spotlight, and thus speak. Then thus spent. You gonna make it? I'm not. Do you have to pee? No, I really don't. Okay. And thus both men. <laughs> I told you I've been dizzy today. And thus both men sparked a decades-long confession spree, which shot them into the limelight and had police all across the country tracking them down. All across the country, tracking down thousands of false leads, eventually earning the two ex-lovers the title, The Confession Killers. I'm leaving all my mistakes in here. Y'all are going to go good. This is the real Paul. This is Paul when he's been dizzy all day. (laughs) I'm sorry. Why have you been dizzy? I don't know. Did you eat? I probably got like amoebas from that river or something that I found. (laughs) 
<laughs> Probably. Yeah, so, yeah, they, it's so ridiculous because they were both in prison for life sentences. And they would have just faded away. But instead, these guys are like, no, we're going to confess to everything. And well, like, everything. Prison, right? Exactly. That's basically what it was. So, and, and that's true. For like the next 10 years, they just start going off and off. So for four days after his illegal possessions charge and during his plea hearing, Henry abruptly confessed to the murder of Becky Powell and Kate Rich, along with 100 other murders. Like he's on trial and like, all right, sir, so we have here that you are in illegal possession of a gun. He's like, your honor. Yes, I was. Also, I've killed a hundred people. And they're like, ah, uh, <laughs> like just His randomly sitting booked. there like, like uh, okay, yes, I'm, I'm not paid. <laughs> your honor, if I could just confer with my client, please. <laughs> <laughs> he also incriminated his former partner and lover, Otis Toole. Initially, Toole denied he had any part in the crimes, but his tune soon changed when he saw the notoriety and good treatment Henry was receiving. So, like, Henry was um, getting to go. I think I put it in here. All right, yeah. So, by November, Henry had upped his claims to 210 murders, and police from all across the country began to visit his cell or fly him out to cold case crime scenes. Henry had the luxury of eating at restaurants, giving countless interviews, and leaving the prison often. He also could request all the little things, like, I want a special pillow if I'm going to talk to you. And he'd get, like, so all this stuff. Yeah. Otis wanted to get on the ride and soon began backing up Henry's claims. And it really it devolved into a pissing match. So Henry would be like, I've murdered 200 people. And Otis would be like, I've murdered 430. And Henry's like, I murdered 610. And Otis mm. is like, I murdered. <laughs> and like literally that's what they were doing. Like they kept until eventually we'll say later, Henry confessed to 3000 crimes. <laughs> but you just can't do that much. Like the, the most... They, well, that was the whole thing. Like people have tracked out. They're like, it's physically impossible for right. you to have killed this many people in mm -hmm. the time, like when they were killed. Right. I think the biggest one they just caught was like 90 people and that was over like 40 years. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. The biggest and most likely true bombshell that Tool dropped was the 1981 murder of Adam Walsh. The disappearance and murder of six-year-old Adam Walsh was one of the biggest headlines of the 1980s. Comparable today to perhaps the Casey Anthony story of the 19... Of 19 the Casey Anthony story, or 1990s John Benet Ramsey, the brutality that followed an everyday parental mishap grippled the nation. A mother left her son to try the new Atari game in Sears while, um, while she walked just a few aisles away. When she turned around, he was gone. A frantic search began and exploded into a 24-hour news cycle over the next few weeks as investigators and the parents pled with the kidnappers to return their son. After two weeks, the severed head of Adam Walsh was found in a drainage canal. Yeah, this is a huge, huge story of the 80s, and it's really sad. You can uh, still, like, watch the, the parents' interviews, and like, even at one time, the father's like, like, my wife and I, whatever you want, we'll give you whatever you mm -hmm. want. We'll trade ourselves for our son if you just please return our son. Mm -hmm. Tool's confession to Walsh's murder soon ta turned into taunts. He could no longer physically torment his victims on the outside, but other methods were at his disposal. He wrote letters to the press Disney World, I don't know why he wrote to Disney World, but he did. And John Walsh, the father of Adam Walsh, boasting of how he had killed the young boy. So he wrote John Walsh this like detailed mm -hmm. story. It's really God, awful. horrible fucking asshole. Yeah. But due to a lack of DNA evidence, authorities did not feel comfortable convicting Tool of the crime. It wasn't until 2008, 27 years after the murder, and more than a decade after Tool's death, that authorities finally claimed that he was the killer and closed the case. Um, but aside from Adam Walsh's case, most of the confessions between Lucas and why am I, this is you. I know you just kept going. <laughs> this, is the Evan, this is the Evan Jones podcast now. <laughs> aside from Adam Walsh's case, most of the confessions between Lucas and Tool were fabrications, almost comical. Their biggest conspiracy was the hand of death, a supposed cult that instructed Henry and Otis, um, to kill and who to kill. Oh, a supposed cult that instructed Henry and Otis who to kill and was the real criminal behind their actions. According to Henry, he had killed Jimmy Hoffa and supplied the poison to the jo Jonestown Massacre in Guyana. Ghana. In Ghana. Ghana, South America. He led police all over the country to false grave sites, even once having them dig up an entire portion of the highway only to find nothing. God. 
<laughs> but every time authorities were just about done with Henry Lee Lucas, he'd lead them to a real gravesite and give specific details to a murder only the killer would know. Toole often did the same thing, though he wasn't quite the celebrity as Lucas. Once after a long confession to the murder of a woman, authorities pointed out that another man had already confessed to the crime, to which Otis simply replied, Okay, if you say I didn't kill her, maybe I didn't. In an interview, Otis also compared the slaughter of people to the slaughter of animals. Ain't no difference. If you stomp a bug, you killed something. If you kill a hog, you killed something. Ain't no different killing people. God. Yeah, right? He really did have that mindset, though. I do love that um, Henry Lee Lucas took um, credit for killing Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. And also smuggling boys into fucking Jonestown. (laughs) And I did that, too. I killed all those 900 people. You know, he really thought it was just Kool-Aid. I'm the one who went and I put the poison in the the Kool-Aid. Nobody else knew. (laughs) Exactly. It was like any famous crime over the last, like, 20 years, Henry Lucas was like, I did it. Mm -hmm. Like, they they started taking... Tool took uh, credit for a couple of Ted Bundy's crimes. (laughs) He's like, they say that Ted killed her, but he didn't kill her. I did. It was just like... Okay. (laughs) In total, Lucas confessed to over 3,000 murders, but was convicted of only nine, though police believe that there were probably close to 100. Toole was convicted of six, though as many as 60-plus have been attributed to him. And though the men were not convicted of all the crimes, police closed a total of 213 cold cases with the assumption that they were committed by the two men. Some have since been refuted, but a large majority still hold that Otis Toole and Henry Lee Lucas were, or at least could be, the killers. Mm -hmm. The two men would remain in contact through phone calls for several years, but later in life, Henry would find God and become... Oh my God, are you surprised? (laughs) God is forgiving. It doesn't matter what you do. As long as you're not gay, you can come to God, and he will fix everything. Amen, amen. Oh yeah, he became a poster boy for the religious right. Um, like it was a big deal that Henry Lee Lucas had been saved. It's kind of like today, like people talk about the son of Sam, how he's been saved and changed. Like that was Henry Lee Lucas. Um, he recanted all of his confessions except for the killing of his mother. And he also adamantly denied that he had ever molested or hurt a child, which is utter bullshit because there were so many witnesses. I mean, they probably just moved him to a different state. Huh? Just like they do the the priests, it's fine. That's right. Just, just move, move to a different around. state. Yeah, yeah. Nobody will ever know. If you're moved, then it's like you never did it. Right. And interesting enough, the only time George W. Bush ever commuted a death sentence to a life sentence was for Reformed Christian Henry Lee Lucas. All the people that have been murdered in um, in Texas, the only one was the the you know yeah. the new Christian. And George W. Bush is like, you know what? I think he probably has changed. Still, Henry knew that there was no hope of ever getting out. He told an L.A. Times reporter, This life is gone. Maybe God will find something. I've left it in his hands. I just have to accept it. Otis thought Henry's recantations were ridiculous and continued to give salacious stories to the press until his death in 1996. He died of cirrhosis, having been a hard alcoholic just like his father. Henry followed five years later in 2001, dying of heart failure. He was buried in an unmarked grave for fear of vandalism. As far as the homophobia one would suspect surrounding this case, it was much more subtle than for other queer killers. Though inexplicably, though inexplicably, what? Inexplicably. Yeah, I don't know why I can't say that. Though inexplicably, Jeffrey Dahmer was tied to Otis Toole with people claiming the two knew each other. You know all the gays know each other. Uh, Yeah, hello. (laughs) Uh, You know, I have this gay coworker. You probably know him. His name is this. And you're like, no, I've not. No, you've definitely. No, you no, had Frank. To. It's Frank. You've you met Frank. Frank. Come on. Mm, he no. goes to that one gay bar in downtown. You know, the one of like the six <laughs> that you go to every night. He's apparently, got, he's got the he's got brown hair and you know he's Blue a little eyes, effeminate. You know? You're like, mm. sorry, you just described ninety percent providence. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <but> <laughs> <laughs> um, this was also due, the fact, them knowing each other was also due to the strong theory that Dahmer had been connected to the Walsh murder, a theory that had no evidence and which even the father denied. We aren't saying that homophobia didn't persist. Just look at the way Henry was treated by cops versus Otis. Yeah. Um, merely that there wasn't the media evidence usually so pre- prevalent in these cases. Yes, both men were labeled as sex deviants, but in this case, it was true, and it is hard to know if report if reporters were referring to their mass rape and assaults 
or their affair or both. What we do know is that the world is slightly safer without Henry and Otis roaming the streets in search of prey. So what I just put in there is like I, I expected to find all this like these articles that were really this aggressively homophobic. Yeah. And I didn't find that. But you do find the way. So Otis was very he was a lot of people said he was swishy. He was swishy gay. He like he was open about the fact that he was gay. He was effeminate, and so and Henry, on the other hand, had been with, and Otis had not really ever been with women except for beards, and he was very open about the right. fact that he only was with them as a cover up. Henry had was bisexual, mm-hmm. and especially when he got saved and recanted of all his sins. Um, and he even like recanted of his homosexuality. He said he was sorry of it. Like he didn't lie and say he wasn't homosexual like he lied about saying he was a pedophile mm-hmm. but he, he he recanted of his homosexuality but um but like the way people treated otis was so much different it was so much harsher the the way the cops treated him right and whereas like the, everybody seemed to have patience like i wonder if george w bush would have commuted otis's no. life sentence instead of henry's right you know mm-hmm. so like that's what i mean like the homophobia was there in those ways you right. know, but as far as like, but when people would write about them being sex deviants, they were sex deviants. Like right. that's what an, a sex deviant actually is. Right. You know, they were raping and murdering people. Exactly. A little that, bit different than just being gay. Yeah. So it was hard to know, like, are you writing because they're really sex deviant? Are you writing because like, are you being negative because they're homosexual? Like right. they, it was all together. So anyways, your recommended resource is the documentary Otis Tool and Henry Lee Lucas available on YouTube. It's under serial killers documentaries. Or the book Henry Lee Lucas by Joel Norris. We don't have a good be- rec- book recommendation for Otis Tool as Evan tried a few and they were all awful. And I am not lying. One book that I was reading, I was listening to it and I like had to turn it off because it was so pornographic. I was like, <laughs> I'm working and I can't be listening to this. And this is ridiculous. <laughs> It's like so fucking stupid. Like the I don't whole know. Podcast is like. <laughs> <laughs> while you're sorry, the I'm table. sorry. I'm smacking the table. <laughs> yeah. But like it was just it was an awful book. I it's listened like, to two. It's like audible pornography. Literally, that's what it was. The writer was trying to be like a fancy true crime writer, where like he tells the true history, but like in a in a novel way, mm-hmm. which is good. I like that. But he did it in this. I'm sorry. I just did not like it. (laughs) I did not like it. And it took too many liberties. And like at the end, I was like, I don't know if this is true or what this is. I don't know. So anyways, um, um, however, there are some great episodes on various true crime podcasts, such as Criminal Musings, which is hosted by our friend J.V. Hampton Van Sant. Sorry, J.V., if I said your last name wrong. Van Sant. J.V. is a queer black person who hosts several podcasts, but specifically covers true crime as it pertains to queer people and people of color. So check them out and send some love to the podcast Criminal Musings. J.V. does a lot of podcasts. They've um, got like 30, I think. Yeah, they've, they've got a lot. They interviewed us over a year ago now. Yeah, it's been a while. It was kind of towards the beginning. Yeah, well, they interviewed us over a year ago, but then the episode didn't drop for a little while because mm-hmm. they also have a podcast where they interview other people who are podcasters. Right. So, um, but JV's got a lot of stuff. You can check it out. Criminal Musings. And of course, any good true crime podcast has got something about Otis Tool mm-hmm. and Henry Lee Lucas. But. So Anyways, stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. A little succulent sapphists. And our proud homocrats. And have a sodomy circus. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.